Joshua 3. I'm going to read 1 to 4 and 8, verse 8. So, uh, and Joshua, Joshua rose early in the morning, and they had removed from Shittim and came to Jordan, and he and all the children of Israel and lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host. And they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests of the Levites bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about two thousand cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that ye may know the way by which ye must go. Um, for you have not passed this way heretofore. And verse 8, And thou shalt command the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you are come to the brink of the water of Jordan, ye shall stand still in Jordan. Good morning, everybody. Um, it's absolutely lovely to be here with you this morning, so thank you for welcoming me. Um, I bring you greetings from roughly 155 other Baptist churches around Scotland that are worshipping together this morning as well, um, just so you can put me in a little bit of context. Uh, I've been a Baptist minister down in Skipton in North Yorkshire for 27 years, I was doing that, um, and I started this role with the national team of the Baptist Union in September 2021. So about 18 months now, um, and commuted for a year because we have two children and our son was finishing his A-levels at that point, and we moved up in November, really, in the summer into November, and we live near Aberfoyle in the Trussocks National Park, which is similarly damp to how it is here <laughs> this morning. So that's a little bit uh, about me. Um, and we, David said to me, just do whatever you want to, what you feel you should do. And so, um, so we have the Old Testament. Those people who know me know I absolutely love the Old Testament, so if you give me a choice, the chances are that's where we're going to land. And we're going to land in this amazing story, um, and we'll read some of the bits of it as we go um, in Joshua chapter 3. But before we launch into Joshua chapter 3, I need to just take you back a little moment to chapter one. And we've just been singing that beautiful song. It's one of my favorites, The Goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful. And really we need to understand this bit of the story of Joshua in the context of God's faithfulness to his people always, always. Because that's what gives us the confidence to take the next steps with God. That we're not just saying, in the past you have been faithful, but I can trust you that you will be faithful into the future as well. And so at the beginning of the book of Joshua and chapter 1, it says this, uh, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life, as I was with Moses, 
So I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then those verses we like to have on a fridge magnet. Be strong and courageous, etc., etc. We like that bit, don't we? This is God's word to Joshua right at the beginning of this bit of his story. And I don't know what God has spoken over you. I don't know what God's word has been to you as individuals or as a church or even the churches that you are visiting from today. Because when God speaks his word to us, it says that he will bring it to fulfillment. And sometimes there's like a huge time delay. And sometimes there's a little time delay. But God's word stands. And this bit of Joshua where God speaks in chapter 1 gives them confidence that this is what God is going to see happen for his people. So there's a little interlude when the spies go into Jericho and they meet Rahab. We're not really talking about that. But when we hit chapter 3, the time for waiting is well and truly over. And it is time to get ready to walk into all that God has promised. The time for waiting is over. Now, some of us like waiting. We can wait forever, in fact, because we just need to wait until we feel absolutely certain. Some of us are less like that. But there's a point where God says to us about the things that he has put in our lives. It's time to get ready to walk into all that God has promised. And so we see in this chapter that step by step, they're moving forward with God. Now, some of you have got a 1980s classic song now going through your head. Step by step, they're moving forward with God. I was associate minister in Skipton for a long time before I took over the senior leadership there. And uh, on my induction, I had to give some kind of vision because that's what we do. And I thought, well, how can you give a vision to something that you've been part of for 19 years? It felt a bit odd. And I said to the church on that day, this is my vision, that we follow Jesus one step at a time. That's it. That's it. Because actually that's all we need, is to go the next step and the next step in obedience to what God is saying to us. That's what discipleship is. It's taking one step and another step and another step, following Jesus in the way that he's leading us. For the people at that time, under Joshua, it meant a whole bunch of different things. And the first thing that it meant for them was to reject past failure. Now, in, they're in this lovely place called Shittim, or however you'd like to pronounce it, but we need to make it sound a bit better than it looks on the page, don't we? <laughs> they have been here before. They were there in Numbers 25. I mean, they didn't know it was Numbers 25, but that's where they were. And it was a place where they had been disobedient, where there had been sexual immorality, where they had worshipped the Baals. It was a negative place, a place of failure for them. But that, they don't need to make those same choices again. And sometimes we find ourselves in a place that looks awfully similar to a place that we were in before. And that might be for us as individuals or as a family or as a church community. But just because it looks similar 
doesn't mean we need to make the same choices. And there is an amazing thing with God and his spirit at work in us, that there's always a chance for a new start. And so they have to say, that was a bad time. We made mistakes then. We made bad decisions, but we don't have to do that again. The second thing that they needed to do as they moved forward is they had to reject their present comfort because despite the name of the place, it actually means acacia trees. Or sometimes it's called Abelshatim, which means the meadow or the stream of trees, which actually sounds a whole lot nicer, doesn't it? So they were in this place, which was like an oasis. It was a beautiful place. It was a place of God's provision. And it would have been really nice to stay there. I mean, like, who wouldn't want to stay in an oasis? With lovely pools to bathe in and fresh water and figs and grapes on the tree. I mean, who wouldn't want to stay there? But they needed to recognize that at this point in their history, God's plan for them was not that they were in a playground, but that they needed to be in a battleground. This was a moment to travel forward 10 miles down into the desert plain to take over the land that God had given to them. Now, I love it when life is nice. Anyone else like it when life is nice? You know, when church is comfortable, when we all know each other, we love each other, we know how it works, and it's all nice. And it's actually harder to leave what is nice than it is to leave what is difficult. I was, uh, we were in Skipton for 28 years. It was awesome. It was a wonderful church and a lovely, lovely town. And then God started being at work. I wasn't very keen. Mike was much more keen than I was. I wasn't very keen. I didn't want to leave that because that was great. It was comfortable. I knew what I was about. I knew who I was. I knew how I fitted in. We knew how we fitted in. Sometimes God says you've got to leave the comfort behind, not just the difficulty. And then they needed to reject their fear. You see, we have like different attitudes, don't we? I mean, some of us are super impatient. We just want to be on with the next thing all of the while. We're like, what fear? Take me into the next thing. Come on, we can do it. Let's do it. This new idea that Dave's had this week. Let's do that. Others of us are kind of laid back. We're like, mm, well, we'll just see what happens. We'll see what it looks like for other people. They can go first and we'll see whether we want to go as well. Some of us just frankly get scared, don't we? We get scared. We don't like change. We don't want it to be different because that might be uncomfortable or weird. Strange people might come in the door. We don't want it to be different. And it's frightening. You know, I bet for some of these guys around Joshua that day, they were fearing for their lives. It wasn't just that they thought someone might sit in their seat on a Sunday morning. <laughs> they thought they might be dead. That's a reason to be afraid. But God said, you need to put your fear behind you and you need to move forward. And I think that wandering around many churches, which is my job these days, actually fear is a massive thing for holding us back from all that God wants to take us into. 
We might wrap it up in all sorts of snazzy things, but deep down in our hearts, it's, I don't want things to be different. I'm a bit scared. Everything in the world is changing. It's different every single day of the week. I just need church to feel safe. Inside, I feel scared. But we cannot let fear prevent us from walking into all that God has for us because your town, the town you live in, the city you live in, this country, and even the one south of the border, needs Jesus. And we cannot live in fear. And this was a moment where they needed to reject their fear and trust and obey and move forward. So they have these instructions in Joshua chapter 3. Verses 2 to 4, it says, After three days, the officers went through the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. It's not liking me, this isn't. There we go. So, who are you following? Who are you following? You see, this chapter says that we need to focus on the Ark of the Covenant. You know, it is mentioned 17 times in this chapter. Something that's mentioned that often is really important. It's a wooden box. Inside the wooden box are the Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod, some of the manna. They're sacred symbols of God's holy, almighty presence. And Joshua and the people and his leaders say, focus on the Ark of the Covenant. I sometimes think it would be easier if we had an Ark of the Covenant to follow. Do you not think that? Or if we had a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire, it would be really, really obvious, wouldn't it? But the whole point of this is that we focus away from our fears and our feelings and our moods and everything that's uncertain and frightening, and we focus on where the presence of God is. Because when we focus on where God is, the other things fall into their right perspective, don't they, as we do that. Joshua says, focus on that. He also says, put a distance between it. It's too much distance here, that's the problem. <laughs> put a distance between it. I think there's two things here. One is, this is holy, we know that because in different parts of the Bible when people touched it, they died. This is the holy place of the presence of God where God has chosen to dwell in this stage. But there's also another thing about it. You see, there was probably about two million people that covered uh, the desert, crossed the desert under Moses, and they probably most of them were gathered around this, maybe a bit less than that. If you're all too close to it, then only the front row can see. But if you stand far back, then everyone can see. I think that's really important. You know, as we go forward into the things of God, it is not about only the deacons being close to God. This is about everyone focusing on where God is and where he's leading, making sure that everyone can see what God is doing and saying. And then God says to them, wherever the presence of God goes, that's where you go. Wherever the presence of God goes, that's where you go. 
That's why we're in Scotland. It's because God said, more clearly than probably any other move that I've ever made, this is where you need to be. The other option is this, disobedience. And the point where you are that disobedient to God, then something negative occurs because you need to walk in obedience to him. And they said, we've never been this way before. Well, you know what? That's always true, isn't it? Even when it feels familiar, you've never actually lived today before. You haven't lived tomorrow yet, unless some of you are into time travel. We've never been this way. We've never, none of us have ever been this way before. March the 23rd, 2020. Do you remember that day? Our daughter was supposed to fly to Africa. That didn't happen. We went to the garden center and they sold off these big bags of compost with strawberry plants in because, well, we don't know what's going to happen. The first year ever we had strawberries in our garden. Everything changed. We didn't know that when we woke up in the morning, but by the evening everything had changed. We've never been this way before. And there is this biblical principle of discontinuity. I don't know if you like that. A biblical principle of discontinuity that says the future can be different because of the presence of God. I don't know what your present is. I don't know what your past is. I do know that as we focus on the presence of God and walk with him, the future can be different because of the presence of God with us. And then he goes on in chapter 3 and verse 5. He says, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Consecrate yourselves. It means keep on consecrating yourselves. Keep on. All of the people having this holy attitude. In Exodus 19, you have a similar kind of picture there where they had to bathe themselves and wash their clothes and be sexually abstinent and prepare for the making of the covenant that God would give to Moses. They spent two days setting themselves apart for the seriousness of the task. This is the kind of thing that Joshua is saying. So take this seriously. Take this seriously in your attitude, in your activity. Consecrate yourselves for all that is to come. Be a holy people. Now sometimes all that means, I think, for us in church is we stand on our little pedestal and we proclaim our pronouncements over something that's upset us recently. You can fill in the blanks. It's something so much deeper than that, isn't it? The most holy and consecrated person who ever lived was... Jesus. I mean, Jesus isn't always the answer, but in this occasion it is. Jesus. And people loved him. They were attracted to him. They wanted to be where he was. They recognized his grace and love as well as his truth. When God calls us to consecrate ourselves to him, it is so that we are people who are beautiful with the beauty of Jesus, who are attractive and winsome and kind and gracious and merciful as well as truthful. Holiness is about all of who we are being dedicated to God. And then this lovely, lovely part of this verse, it says, the Lord will do amazing or miraculous things among you. Now, if this was a Pentecostal church, we might say amen at that point. 
because we're Baptists, at least most of us, or some of us. <laughs> but how, how amazing when God says, or the leader says, consecrate yourselves because tomorrow God is going to do miraculous things amongst you. Amen? Yeah, I mean, isn't that give you a sense of confidence? Would that make you think that you wouldn't sleep well that night? Because you were so expectant and excited about what God might do. Lochery Baptist Church, God wants to do amazing, miraculous things with you. He already has, hasn't he? Do you not think he wants to do more of that? Do you not think he wants to do more of that in your town? Even with all the visitors that come through the doors, our church was a bit the same. God wants to touch people and do amazing things. You know, and then in chapter 3 and verse 6, it says, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead. Because there always comes a point where you just actually need to get going. Where the preparation has been going on for a really long time and you just need to get going. And so this is the story. It says, The Lord says to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's rivers, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord. And then there's a bit there. See the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. As soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Does that sound familiar? So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is in flood all during harvest, yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. So here we have a moment to get going First of all, what we see here is risky leadership. The priests and the leaders from each of the tribe, when you reach the edge of the water, go and stand in the river. Please put your hand up if you are a leader in any area of this church or in your workplace. Cool. That's a few people. Excellent. You see, God often asks leaders to do the things first, which is both good and bad. I mean, it's good because it's exciting and bad because it's terrifying. This is risky leadership. But it's risky leadership based on the word of God. This isn't everybody like getting on a kind of hype and saying, come on, let's jump in the river. This is God saying, when you do this, as soon as your toes hit the river, it will start to part. That is risky leadership that is based entirely on the word of God. It is a dangerous kind of faith. I don't know if you noticed in the reading there, but it says that the River Jordan was in flood. In flood. Now, you've got quite a few rivers around you here. When they are in flood, it is not a good moment to go wild swimming. 
I mean, you really notice, don't you? It's higher, it's wider, it's faster, it's unpredictable and dangerous when the river is in flood. This is a heightened sense of the impossible. It's not just your average Jordan River flowing through and, you know, happy days. This is the river in flood. This is saying our God is greater. Our God is stronger. Our God can do the impossible. Our faith is risky and dangerous. It gives us that sense of their own helplessness, their own impossibility. It's bleak. It's, it's, um, it's hopeless for them. They cannot cross this river apart from the miraculous power of God. I wonder what circumstances you are facing just now. And you think, I cannot. We cannot. It might be something in your family life. It might be a work situation. It might be a sense of what God is calling you to. And you think, have you not seen the river? God, are you not looking at the same river that I'm looking at right now? Because it's in flood. It's impossible. What is God saying in that? Because we have a mighty God, don't we? But this mighty God did not act in this situation until they got their feet wet. Now, I don't know about you, but I quite like waiting until the river is parted before I walk through it. I quite like to know what the future is going to look like. I quite like it mapped out. I didn't really like us having to sell our house before we had anywhere to go to. It wasn't that easy to do that, to wait until our feet were in the flooded river before the flooded river opened. But that's the kind of faith that God calls us to You see, the flow of a river in full flood is entirely at God's disposal. He is our mighty God. And our problem is often that we want it all worked out, don't we, in minute detail. Of course, organization's a good thing, by the way. I quite like being organized. But we need to operate on the level of the spirit of what God is doing if we want to see this nation transformed. And God often waits for us to step out of our comfort zones before he opens the way for us before he opens the way for us. Here's a quote. Um, actually, it's, a, it's from Pete Gregg, but he's mostly quoting someone else. That's what the River Jordan looks like in flood, by the way. He says this. This is Brennan Manning, and then it's Pete Gregg. The defining moments of my life have not been my sins and successes. They've been a depressingly small number of decisions that involved real risk. Christ is not a passive saviour sitting still in some cosmic comfy chair. Our God is dynamic. He is a creative force, the ultimate visionary, always on the move. And if we want to know him and be with him, we will have to follow him wherever he is going next. This is the adventure of discipleship. Now, I'm quite risk averse. Just ask Mike if you want to know about that. But I have to say to you that the risks that we have taken in the last 18 months to two years have been some of the most life-giving and faith-filling opportunities of my whole life. 
And when I look back on my leadership in Skipton, it's not the everyday stuff. It's the times when we've kind of put our feet into the river and trusted God and his word moving forward. Those are the stories that I will tell forever. It's not to um, disrespect all the everyday. There's lots of everyday, and that's wonderful too. But it's when we take those risks to follow God in the way that he is leading us that we really see things at work. You know, they changed from spectators in the wilderness to participants in a conquering kingdom. I don't want to be a spectator in the wilderness. I want to be a participant in a conquering kingdom under the lordship of Christ. And they learned if God can do this, then he can defeat Canaanites. And that was really important. Just one last thing. As it says... The greatest enemy of faith, what is the greatest enemy of faith? Fear? Any other options? Apathy? Good, good words, good words. Well, here's my one. Yours are right as well. I could write a sermon on them as well. Uh, forgetfulness. Forgetfulness. I actually think the greatest enemy of fear is so often forgetfulness just forget what God has already done. So then we don't have faith for the next bit. And, God, and Joshua says to them, I want you to get counting. He says, take stones from the middle of the riverbed. Now, why does he say that? Why does he say that? Because it would be easy for them to pick up a little rock from the side. But that wouldn't prove anything, would it? He says, Go into the middle of the river, you know, that big river that's in flood. Pick up a huge rock, put it on your shoulder, walk through the mud and the slippery weed and over the other slippery rocks with your big rock on your shoulder and take it out to the other side. And then get counting and remember what God has done. Of course, it's a common practice, these memory stones. We see it time and time again in the story of Israel. It's a sign of what God has done. I just wanted to reference when it says this, which is in chapter 4 and verse 19. And I, I suggest you read it when you get home. On the 10th day of the first month, now it quite often says stuff like that, and we're like, and? It's meaningless to us, isn't it? On the 10th day of the first month, except that if you go back to Exodus 12 and verse 2 and the date of the Passover, it says this, on the 10th day of the first month. Because isn't God good? Because he reminds them, he says, do you remember when I set you free from Egypt and I opened up a way for you to escape the Egyptians and cross the Red Sea. And what happened at the Red Sea? Oh, look, the waters parted and they went in a big heap on one side and they flowed. Do you remember that? Well, here we are again on the exact same date. And I've taken you from this place of wilderness across a flooded river, which, oh, just happened to open up. And then it all went in a heap on the one side and all the rest. And here you are again. Because I'm the same God. I'm the same God who retrieved you from the Egyptians. I'm the same God that takes you out of the wilderness and into the promised lands. And what do we do? We take bread and wine. 
and we remember that this same Jesus who died, who was in the tomb and who was raised to life again, is the one who takes us to the next space because he is faithful and good and trustworthy and he never, ever changes. It's a sign of what God has done. It's a sign of what God is able to do. It says this, verse 23, For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan just what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. Listen, he did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. I hope that when people think about this church, they also think about the gods of this church, a God who is loving and good and strong and powerful. We checked into the hotel last night, and the girl on reception, I said, oh, uh, David Barry booked it for us. She went, oh, he used to be my priest. <laughs> but there's something there, isn't there? Something there about connection to this place and to the God of this place. This is a sign of what God is able to do. When the priests came out, they put their stones down and the river flooded back again together. And it's a sign, lastly, 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 to those who follow after Verse 21, in the future when your descendants ask their fathers, what do these stones mean? I imagine it being like Gilgal National Park and big signs, notice boards, you know, a bit like around here when you, and it says, this cairn is to remind us that once upon a time, many hundreds and thousands of years ago, God parted the waters of the Jordan River and these stones that you see now were taken from the center of the river. A sign of God's goodness, his faithfulness, his might and his power so that those who follow, when they say, what's all this about, Dad? What's all this about, Grandma? There's a story to tell of the goodness and faithfulness of God. So I encourage you, I don't know where you are just now. But if you're a leader, and if you're not, please pray for your leaders that they might have clear, confident, and risk-taking faith. That may not make your life easy for you. I'll give you that as a warning. But it will make life exciting, and you will see the work of God. If you're a leader, be brave, be confident, be courageous. Listen to God and do what he says. But for the rest of us, as we look at what our lives have in front of us, remember that this is the God who parts seas. This is the God that makes rivers part. This is the God that does all that he promises. And we can trust him to do that.